the census fallout. The buck stops with me. Carol Schrubeck is back. We just don't need someone in our community that has been importing drugs. One News Inside Parliament. Welcome to Inside Parliament. It's a weekly catch-up about the stories that we've been covering on One News. We're coming to you from the legendary Beehive studio. I'm Jessica Much Mackay. I'm Mikey Sherman. And I'm Benedict Collins. So let's start off with our pits and our peaks this week. Let's start positive, I reckon. What, what about peaks this week? Shall I start off with mine? Because sure. Benedict's face looks mildly panicked. Um, <laughs> My um, peak this Great week start. is um, we've had the, uh, maybe it's just his resting face, you're not sure, but um, we've had the Pacific Island Forum, the Prime Minister is there at the moment and our Pacific correspondent Barbara Dreber is there and we've, we're in the middle of it at the moment but we've already had a couple of strong stories out of there and it's really interesting watching the dynamics. We've got these all these Pacific leaders flown into this very small Pacific Island um, and just interesting to hear her take and the nuances from there, particularly around the issue of, of climate change. So I just think it's 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 always so many interesting stories out of there and um, I've been enjoying Barb's mm. coverage on that. Good mm. to see um, Frank Bainimarama back there after snubbing it, after being kicked out and then snubbing it for yeah. a few years. It'd be interesting to see how, how that all plays out. And a big out. player in mm. there, obviously, as well. What was your peak this week? My peak this week is the Waitangi Tribunal finding, uh, basically calling uh, for a repeal of the removal of prisoner voting rights. Um, so they're saying that Māori have been um, largely prejudiced by the removal of um, prisoner voting rights. National Party obviously initiated that. Um, so it basically puts a lot of pressure back on the government, back on Labour. They didn't really um, want to touch it. They've sort of said that it's not a priority for them, but this just adds another layer of pressure, especially when we know that the UN is also watching um, us very closely on this issue. Uh, and so I, I'm interested to see how the Māori MPs react when uh, Parliament resumes next week. Mm. Mm. I guess my peak for the week, um, we're going to have a look at this track in a few minutes, but um, the government statistician, um, Liz McPherson, she um, decided after last year's bungled census, we had really bad response rates. Um, She said, hey, look, you know, um, the buck stops with me. I've got to step down over this. And I thought, you know, not always do you see that kind of, you know, personal responsibility in the public sector. I can think of worse incidents where, you know, the, the people remain in their jobs. So it was good to see, you know, accountability and a senior, you know, um, public servant standing up and, and taking responsibility and falling on her sword over that. Yeah, it was that was a really interesting press conference to watch, actually. Um, in terms of pits, um, I think probably the coverage in um, Hong Kong and watching all of that play out um, has probably been my pit. There's a lot of um, tit for tat going on with the protesters and the police, and, and I think it's it's very interesting. So maybe it's a little bit of a peak as well. But um, and we've actually got um, some candy here that our political editor, our political producer, brought back um, when she was covering. Um, which she went over with with Kimberly Downs and Matt Smith, camera operator. Um, and brought us back some candy from Hong Kong as well, so that ties into that. Well, but the coverage out of there was that too much of a segue, maybe. But the coverage over there has been really fascinating mm. um, to watch that all play out from out here. Do Benedict, you go, and I'm going to I'm going to pull up my um, I want to pull up my pit. Yes, yeah, just looking in her, her phone. <laughs> pull up the email. My pit for the week would be the little boo boo in the uh, census track. Um, that went to air. We didn't quite pick up on it, um, but some eagle-eyed viewers did. Uh, and one of the one of the shots we laid over some of the footage, there was a uh, TVNZ Skype login and password stuck <laughs> to the edge of the computer. Got past all of us. Got to air. Um, 
Yeah, it, luckily you know, it didn't. A few work. people giving us a little yeah. bit of a mock there. Um, mm. Yeah, so that would be my pit. Yeah, it's all about Hide your passwords, eh? guys. Yes. <laughs> okay, and my pit um, is basically a roll-on from Benedict's uh, Peak and Pit, so it's to do with um, the uh, botched census. Um, and as as he mentioned, um, we saw the chief statistician there fall on her sword. Um, but moments later, after um, that was announced, uh, James Shaw, the minister in charge, um, puts out a press release which was rather desperate, um, basically titled Review Confirms Most Important Population Data is Better in 2018 Census Than Previous Surveys. So you've just had your chief statistician fall on her sword, she's had to resign over what was a botched census, and here's the minister basically trying to talk it up, saying it was uh, better in some ways than previous surveys. Good spin there. You know, you know good to, try. Yeah. You know, yeah. good try, looking well, for the I'm silver not a, lining. I'm, but, not uh, I'm not on fire, I'm not on fire. Well, what are you talking about? So, uh, yeah. yeah, good well, that one, James. Segues quite nicely then, since we're talking on that Indeed. topic. Let's have a look at Benedict's track on the census. Finally, falling on his sword. The buck stops with me. Because hundreds of thousands of people didn't complete last year's census, producing unprecedented data gaps. I am also announcing my decision to resign as government statistician. I expect public service chief executives to own it, fix it, learn from it, and to stand up and be accountable. Uh, And that's exactly what Ms McPherson is doing here. Today's independent report, completing the long-running autopsy on the failed census. We did not have enough boots on the ground to knock on doors and to talk to people face to face. Well, it could have gone better. And the public agrees. I thought the census was late, it was messy, and it wasn't done as well as the previous one. I didn't get a fine. Don't send me one now. (laughs) It's a great shame that it was not worthwhile. The reviews also highlighted just how disruptive the Kaikoura earthquake was to census operations at Statistics House in Wellington. The magnitude 7.8 earthquake not only took out Statistics House, but their data centre too, meaning some of their systems were down for months and their staff were left working in crisis mode. In fact, some IT systems were still being developed on census day. Those in charge weighed up whether to delay the census, but made the call to push on instead. Was it a mistake to push on with the census following the Kaikoura earthquake? The judgement we took at the time was that it was the right thing to do. Uh, With hindsight, perhaps not. There were other problems too. Clearly, if people weren't escalating risks or variances to the plan, there was a problem with the organisational culture as well. So has anyone else been held accountable? We're not here today to do anybody's performance review on public benedict. We're just not going to do it. The government statistician won't actually walk away from her role until Christmas. So uh, I loved that uh, quote there from James Shaw, continuing on there. Um, understatement of the year. It could have been better. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Indeed, Sherlock. Um, you know... <laughs> atrocious response rates um, from this and and they just got it badly wrong they simply particularly one of the things they didn't do basically was for for people who couldn't fill it out online they didn't have paper packs ready to go out to them Um, that was one of the big failings and it just took so long and I know um, we all know of people I think you know who tried repeatedly to get in contact um, to get forms sent out to them or to get get new codes that they could fill in the census online you know it was just really bungled and I think on that sitting in a Wellington office where all of you have laptops and computers and probably have a couple at home and you use your smartphones, it's very easy to say, oh, look, we all use online now. Let's do this. 
forgetting that in the real world not everyone operates like that and it just feels like such a um, Wellington centric thing to think about and when it comes to something that this important and I think that's the other point in this as well people think oh boring census why does it matter it, this data is really really important it's important for government departments it's important for businesses it's important for councils for planning for schools for yep. planning for health care yep. you know all those things that you need to be able to look into the future to plan for yeah so you need for, right? everyone yeah to fill it out and that and the fact that it dropped by such significant levels um is such a failure and it makes us look like a bit of a tin pot country. And I had the I had like a bit of a, a, a an opposite um, experience really myself because I did fill it out online. And I don't know if I've mentioned this before in, in our podcast, but I've mentioned it in the office that I had a number of phone calls, like basically being harassed by people from mm. um, Stats NZ saying, "Hey, you haven't filled out this the forms, and um, we're going to come after you." And then when I finally mm. answered the phone because you know I was busy or whatever and I spoke to the guy and I was like look dude I've filled it out on the night online for my entire household what are you talking about and he basically just apologized profusely and said forget about all the phone calls just ignore it and so I had the opposite experience. So they're almost chasing the wrong people yeah, and that's part the of wrong the, people. and if the if the rate um, of people uh, doing it and completing it had been really high that wouldn't have been a problem, but it's like you're focusing on the wrong thing here. You know? What about the fact that they're still going after those ones who didn't fill it out, still charging mm. them yeah, and coping so, at it? Yeah, so we sort of had a look, bit of a look. I was going through media, and a little while ago it was reported that, you know, 60 people are being prosecuted. And I did ask Liz McPherson at the press conference, I said, well, you know, you're standing up here, you're resigning because you've made it so difficult for people to fill it in. Yeah. On the flip side, you guys are still prosecuting dozens and dozens of New Zealanders for not having filled it out like yeah okay and, and her response was oh hey we only ever target those you know who sort of uh, i'm putting words in her mouth but along the lines of you know sort of who defiantly refused to fill in the census but it is interesting that you'd still make given it was so bungled and she acknowledges that that you, your department would still try and prosecute people yeah that and an, an, seems unusual. another thing that they talked about um at, at press conference and around this is you know the damage and the trust of the public trust around the census and that could take quite a long time for that to be built back up. Particularly for Māori because there was such a drop in the numbers and they've had to go in and sort of pump up and push around those numbers a bit and that just, it feels like that data for the next um, few years isn't going to be good and it has an effect on all sorts of things. Um, and the other thing that I really enjoyed um, in your track, Benedict, was Peter Hughes. Um, I noticed um, being able to um, deliver his, um, what seems to be his his favourite line um, in the last few months, which is, uh, my expectation is that if you stuff up, you got to stand up, take ownership, and you know, the, I he, love he's that kind line. of pulling that line out a lot yeah. lately. I think like, yeah, it's too many times thing. for him probably actually over <laughs> the last little while. I did, I did think it was interesting. Both Liz McPherson and Peter Hughes refused um, in that press conference to answer my question, hey, is it only the government statistician who's, you know, falling here or, or are others, you know, within the organisation also, you know, going to be removed or have they stood down over, over you know, this major bungled census? Um, and both of them, you know, refused to answer that question. Well, we're not talking about employees. We're not carrying out a performance review here. But, I mean, it is a legitimate, legitimate question as to how far that accountability goes. Mm. And Especially if- given James Shaw was saying, hey, you know, there's been a complete failure of culture and people clearly haven't escalated problems up through the command chain. 
Mm. And interesting to see she'll be hanging around till um, the end of the year, which um, means she'll still rake in about, what is it, a, a $200,000? She's on about $400,000 a year. Yeah, so yeah. she's still got Another. the other half of her salary to, to rake in there while she uh, sits out to uh, exit, but also, exit time. It's a long time in terms of the next census being in 2023, given the failed one was at the start mm. of 2018. She's still going to be there at the end of 2019. Only gives a new person coming in, you know, half that five-year run-up. But at the same time, I think you need to make her sit there and try and sort it out. Which, by all accounts, she's yeah, and I think that's part of it as well. And hand over to to the next person, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, Yeah, that seems to make sense. Um, Talking about fixing things, or that wasn't a very good segue, but we'll just move on anyway. Um, I did a story this week on um, Carol Schubeck, which has been one of those stories bubbling around um, for a long time for the government and causing headaches. He, of course, is the um, kickboxer who, or the Czech kickboxer, who's um, now in jail and um, fighting to stay here in New Zealand. So let's have a look at my track on that. On the 16th of September, Carol Shurek will fight to be released from prison. He's out before the parole board. The Czech national's not due out until 2022, serving five years and nine months for importing five kilograms of ecstasy. If he gets out next month, he's meant to be deported, but not so fast. Shrubek has lodged an appeal with the Immigration and Protection Tribunal, and while that process plays out, he can't be deported. The tribunal has told One News today that the matter has not been set down for hearing yet. It may be some time before this matter is scheduled. We just don't need someone in our community that has been importing drugs... The ex-wife of Carol Shrubrick has told One News she doesn't want to comment because of fears for her safety. We also approached Shrubrick and his lawyer. Neither are keen to comment until after the parole hearing. This story has been a political saga for months. This is a very serious matter as far as I'm concerned. The immigration minister initially granted Shrubrick residency based on information his life would be in danger from corrupt Czech police if he was deported. But it turned out Shrubek had been travelling to the Czech Republic on a different passport. The minister apologising for the drama at the time. I spoke to the Prime Minister last night to explain the circumstances and convey my apology. She has accepted my apology. Ian Lees Galloway doesn't want to comment before the hearing either, but National has plenty to say about the way he handled things. Through a very poor decision by the Immigration Minister, which we're still scratching our heads about. The next chapter due to play out on September 16th. So there were a few new things to come out of that, a few developments in this ongoing story. And one was we had the parole date, so the um, 16th of September is when he will be heard. Um, And the other thing as well is that we learned that the Immigration Protection Tribunal, um, where you go to appeal uh, decisions made, they haven't even set down a date for him yet. So I think that that's really interesting in itself because, um, you know, the, there's a possibility he could be out um, following on from that hearing on the on the 16th. And yet um, it can take months to set a date for this um, tribunal and get her before it. So and, and until that process goes through, he stays in New Zealand. So if it wasn't for that appeal, he'd be out of here. So I do think it's, it's interesting that that's going to be months before he goes. And it will be interesting to see... What the how the parole board views it? Whether they say, "Hey, well, look until this appeal's held. Why don't you know? Why don't you stay in prison, or mm. you know, you'll, you'll stay in prison until this, or whether he, you know, maybe they said you've done enough of your sentence, and you know, they've got all those different factors that they take into account as to how long he should serve and what his behaviour has been like in prison, etc. Yeah. Whether you know he could get basically paroled out mm. and sort of 
be kept an eye on until that case or whether he'd just stay in prison. I'm not sure. I wonder if they'll use the um, um, alleged threatening, you know, what some were describing, in particular National was describing as a threatening conversation um, that they ended up um, giving to the media um, with Carol and his ex-wife. Remember that phone conversation that um, drove some of the the media stories around that time um, where he was basically sort of um, venting his anger and frustration at her um, for not sort of supporting him more in the in the letters and, and supportive letters and that sort of thing. I wonder if that'll work against him, given that it was highly publicised at the time. And I think um, the the ex-wife um, reiterated that sentiment to me yesterday, and I think it for for in terms of balance, obviously, um, Mr. Shrewbeck has has um, said that some of the things that are out and out. Um, in the public domain aren't accurate and he can't comment until after the parole case and, and I approached him and, and through his lawyer as well. So I think, you know, we've got to mm. make sure that that's there as well. But I do think that all of those elements will be taken into account um, in this. But I think if we if we take a step back from it politically, though, it just, for Ian Lees Galloway, it just feels like that's the big thing he's in the news for at the moment. And he's... Um, you know, last year was a rough year for him. And and granted, the first half of this year, it hasn't really bubbled around again. But you know that it's going to again after after this comes up. And for him, just, you know, the fact that he was, he had not read the full report and he'd just read the summary and he'd had the briefing. And, you know, it's just one of those things that that must haunt him in his oh, sleep. So he'd be sitting read... pretty nervously at the moment. Yeah, and I just think... Dreading the day yeah. that he comes up before the parole board. And there's nothing... Is it, when you've made that mistake in that era and then it's played out, uh, you know, the, not reading that... It's just another reminder again and again. Do you know what I mean? Mistake, and I hey? think it's just one of those <laughs> things for a minister that must be... It's it's not a fun fun story for him, and that's Mark for sure. And Mitchell, you know, does drive it pretty hard. He, he He's done well for, you know, as, as a, an, an opposition voice on this, you could say that he's done well um, to bring this issue to the fore. Um, he's obviously had the minister up against the ropes. You know, it almost cost him his, his ministerial role last year. It got so bad for Ian Lees Galloway. So you can expect um, Mark Mitchell to continue piling on that pressure um, once this issue comes back up into the public arena, yeah, it's definitely one of those ones that um, is going to be is going to be interesting over the next few weeks. So we'll be keeping an eye on it. But speaking of national, um, Paula Bennett as well um, has announced she is going to be running the campaign. There was probably there was some backroom chatter about it, but she's announced officially that she's going to be um, stepping in, taking over from Stephen Joyce and. Um, not running in her um, West Auckland seat of Upper Harbour as well. So an interesting development there. What did you guys make of that when you saw that? Yeah, I thought it was a logical choice for me. I, I, I'd say, you know, she's obviously um, been the deputy under Stephen Joyce um, in the last um, few years, especially in that last campaign. She brings a bit of pizzazz, you know, she's got that sort of leopard print. She knows how to um, deliver messages well and capture attention. And um, yeah, she's a slick operator. So if anyone's going to run the campaign for National, um, she's obviously proven to be a loyal um, number two for Simon Bridges as well. She's been, you know, um, quick to come to his defence during um, the pressure that he faced with Judith Collins' um, rise and rise. Um, so I think, you know, he's someone that, um, she, he, she is someone that Simon Bridges can trust. She's someone who has proven pro- public profile. Um, and so she, I think she's a good fit for that for that gig. 
Well, I was wondering yesterday, and we're sort of chatting in the office a little bit about it, though, um, is she's also one of Winston Peters' most despised uh, politicians, <laughs> and he's still trying to um, you know, effectively sue her and a bunch of other um, national people and um, civil servant or two um, <laughs> over the leaking of his superannuation overpayments that mm. came out of the last campaign. And so he's still taking legal action against her, and given, you know, he... At the last election, sort of determined who was going to form the government. An interesting choice in that kind of manner, you know, given it's yeah. a bit of a red flag to the ball. And we saw him put out a statement uh, calling it amateur hour. Amateur, we, amateur hour and attacking yes. her shortly after the announcement and as well. Making particular reference to the fact that she didn't, this is his words, she didn't quite cover herself in uh, much glory last election and obviously referring um, to the alleged leaking of his of his information. The only there. thing I think though for National, and they would have had to weigh this up, is that obviously a campaign manager, it can can be a reasonably back backroom kind of job and you're in charge of the strategy you're in charge of the direction in charge of the message she is such the salesperson for the national party and i just wonder um if either her role will change and she does more of the here's the strategy and now i'm going to help sell it or whether she will be missed out there because um people people like her and i think people can kind of relate to her even if they're not national supporters mm -hmm. and i just wonder if they'll be making sure she's not behind the scenes as much as some of the other campaign but, managers. But do you think Stephen Joyce was behind the scenes? I think he lot? was to some degree in the campaign. I, I, he's also, always out there a little bit as well. Yeah, he was way. out there a little bit, but I think it definitely like um, John Key and Bill English were selling mm. it and Bill English, when it was him, was out doing that. And I just, for lots of things that work well, Simon and Paula work well together, and I just wonder if they're going, if that's a factor when they're thinking about all of that, not to have her to make sure she's out and about. I think um, she'll be out and about. Yeah. I don't think you'd put baby in the corner. And I'm just imagining the corner her doing yes. the big thing yes, over the Simon. <laughs> Simon giving her the big lift. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if they would do that for a photo op. I must talk to Rachel Morton about that, let's see. <laughs> um, but yeah, an interesting development there, um, and not only just for us political geeks, but also for um, people in her electorate as well. It leaves the door open, and um, it didn't take very long for people to start raising the question of Christopher Luxon, whether that was a good fit um, for him. What do you make of that? Well, I think, I mean, I think we've got to go, we're going two plus two equals ten. But I think <laughs> um, if if um, Mr Luxon does decide um, to... Join the party. To join the party. And we hear every now and then he does listen to this podcast. So, um, you know, maybe maybe um, he is listening at the moment Ring to us. Ring and Yeah. <laughs> um, but for him, um, if he decides to join the party after he has um, stopped being the CEO, then um, he would look to an Auckland seat, you would think. Um, and, it, and, it's, and it's a pretty safe one for National. They um, got 9,000 last election so it is one that he could I don't I from what I know he doesn't have links there but they effectively helicopter in people reasonably regularly so um you know that could be an option would it just be John Key Mark II do you think maybe yeah. reasonably do you say that as a criticism or as a oh positive? given that they're both yeah. on the Air New Zealand yeah, or, you know, but do you know what I mean? Working, that's, that's the working whole closely thing. together, coming in, yeah. you know, yeah. so and John, all those close links, and how, yeah. how much is yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, and interesting how much you know training or you know prep he's been yeah. given by John Key if he yeah. does indeed you know. But I guess you would argue one of our um, most popular um, prime ministers. Yeah, yeah. So if you were taking notes from someone, it would be. But I think that will be one of the things he'll have to shake 
um, if he comes in here. But would and he if John Key was one of our most popular prime ministers? Yeah, and that, right? but that's the thing. That's <laughs> the thing to and debate. And he'd need to be mm. careful though as well because, you know, with all, I mean, you know, the guy's not even a member yet of the party and he's mm. getting so much public attention, so much media attention, um, which is which is natural, but yeah. it, could, it could, it could you know, um, uh, create a bit of resentment amongst um, some of his soon-to-be totally colleagues. Totally resentment. Perhaps. But I think also, like I remember in 08, um, Simon, I covered Bridges and um, the Peters battle in Tauranga. And there, Bridges was talked about as this big, you know, rising star and da 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 da. I think that's what happens in politics. And then usually they come in and spend a few years in the backbench and, but now, leader of the party. Do you know? So I think that kind of hype, that's a natural thing mm. in politics. And you just have to, you know, you have to learn. To manage it. There's a new, yeah, a new kid on the block. Yeah, kind of. yeah. Welcome to third form, sunshine. <laughs> You'll be yeah. sitting up the back. Um, we'll segue now to a story that's been bubbling around um, just yesterday and today as well. Um, Brenton Tarrant, the uh, man accused of killing the 51 people in Christchurch in the March 15 attack. Now, um, this story bubbled up that he has been sending. Um, out letters from prison, which is obviously pretty galling for most people, um, including to information that's ended up on an alt-right group. So, I mean, the minister came out um, pretty pretty strongly and was just like, look, he's apologised, he's said... um, You know, it shouldn't have happened. I think they realise which side the public are on. It's a disgrace that it's happened. Well, yeah, Calvin Davis was really clear, you know, really disappointed that this has happened. They're even going to have a look at... and. He's saying, you know, we've never had a prisoner like this before in New Zealand. Are our laws and rules, you know, sufficient? They've put in an immediate ban on all mail, I think, going to him and and leaving. Um, But, of course, it is a right of prisoners to be able to send and receive mail. Um, Mm. It sounds like, what, nine letters in total, two of which have been stopped? Yeah. Another two were to his mum, I think. Yeah, so there were nine letters, two were withheld, so of the seven that got out, two were to his mother, and five of those were unknown. So So they were obviously (coughs) monitoring the letters that he was sending out. They monitor every person. And the fact that, you know, uh, the one that they've profusely apologised for, um, which went to that that sort of um, far-right contact um, and, and sort of went up online, the last line of that letter um, read, do not forget your duty to your people. And I just think, how could they have let that letter get out of the prison walls? Yeah, and Absolutely also, ridiculous. And another thing with that is that we kind of have to be careful. You know, we, we have access to the letter and we kind of have to be careful in what um, in what coverage we do of that as mm. well. Because to be honest, I don't think many people are that interested in hearing what he has to say, um, except in the context of, of when it's breaking the rules like it is now. But, but do you know what I mean? I but think some people are interested in what he has to say, right? And for yeah. some people, he's a you know a symbol and you know they're really, uh, there've been other attacks around the world in which they've cited him. In fact, you know, just, the, just the other day in Australia, we saw the quite, you know, the, the knife attack where the citizens intervened with a milk crate mm-hmm. and, a, and a chair and got the guy down. But even he had, I think, um, you know, a USB stick on him which referenced the Christchurch killer as well. So you've got to be really 
Yeah. And I don't think it's careful about the messages you allow him to send. I don't. I don't. I don't know that it's enough for me personally just to have an apology from the minister and the chief executive of corrections. I don't think that's good enough. I think it was a total botch up. What what's happened here? Um, They you know they talk about oh look we've never had to deal with a prisoner of this sort before, but that's exactly why they should have been two steps ahead of the process. Um, You know they were so quick to run in um, uh, reform around our gun laws etc. They could have run and reform at the same time around prohibiting um, a certain mail for certain prisoners. If the, if the legality of things was what they needed to consider, they should have considered it from the start. They should have, you know, um, if there were changes that needed rushed to be made through. in order to, to allow them to, mm. to block that mail, then they should have rushed it through at the same time. We've seen that they can do it. So the fact that they haven't just means they didn't think about it and it's just not good enough. And you wonder if this letter had not been posted on 4chan whether he would have just been able to continue to be able to keep sending mm. letters like that, right? Mm. Or it's the you know only because this one's become public. They've got yeah. all, all, all. And having read that letter as well, um, you can see that he was careful. He even detailed that saying, I'm careful about what I have to write because of the rules. So he clearly was working within that system. But I think there's not a lot of people um, sitting at home that think it's acceptable that he is able to communicate Um, in that way after what he is accused of doing at this time. And I think you're right. I think he should have been given special treatment. This shouldn't have been... um, All of these processes should have been questioned and um, we should have been looking at this beforehand. And I think perhaps the Minister has has realised yesterday afternoon quite quickly um, where where the public sentiment was on this and um, has come out and said, yep, we're going to need to have to change some things. And the Prime Minister and the Pacific Island Forum talked about it as well. So it's it's um, it seemed to be the Prime Minister's office leading that. I'd be interested to know at what point they made the calls because they obviously have mentioned that they contacted the Norwegian um, corrections um, bosses um, for some advice around how they deal with Andrew Breivik um, and um, for example um, he is not allowed tele- access to television newspapers and that sort of thing. Um, so when did they, you know there's a lots of questions there, when did they seek that advice and how did that inform um, their their own decisions about the handling of um, Tarrant here in New Zealand. So, you know, did, did was it uh, something that they just failed to consider or did they consider it and still make the call that, you know, it's OK? We'll, we'll and that's the information we'll be finding out over the next we will. little while. We will while. indeed. That might be a nice place to leave it, though. Um, it's been great to have you with us on Inside Parliament. It's our weekly catch-up about the stories that we cover on One News. We're on Facebook, Twitter and on Instagram. It's available every Thursday, sometimes Friday, on the One News Facebook page. And check us out on your favourite podcasting app. Thanks for joining us.